You're listening to a sermon from Plus Life, a church that exists to see lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will be stirred in your heart and renewed in your mind as you hear the preaching of God's word today. You go ahead and tell someone beside you, in front of you, across from you, the title of our new series right now, You Belong. You Belong. Tell them, you belong here. You belong here. So again, we're, as you can probably tell, we are taking a, a, a break from our Gospel of John series to start this new series called You Belong. And it's with, with Thanksgiving in mind. Of course, Thanksgiving is next week. And so we, we sort of want to set the stage for that and continue to start cultivating a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving through this sort of mini-series. It's just going to be this sermon and next sermon. Now, one thing to be thankful for and what we sort of want to focus in on uh, in this series is, is this idea of belonging to the family of God. We ought to be grateful and thankful that we belong to the family of God. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that, he should be ho- that, we, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. We have to grasp that reality. Sometimes it becomes too much of a norm to us. But this is an amazing truth from Scripture. That before the foundations of this world was set into place, God had already predestined you to be adopted as sons and daughters of his. To be part of his family. Again, it says that God chose us. The Father chose us in Christ. Let's, you know, we often think of, of, of God's sovereignty and, and, and maybe sometimes we think that, you know, when God chooses people, it's arbitrary or it's random. No, it's, it's not. It's not like winning, winning a lottery. Our passage literally says he predestined us in love. In love, God predestined us for adoption to be part of his family. It's, it's amazing to me, right? We, we, we gave no reason to God to choose us, all the reason to reject us, yet in love, he predestined us. It is a privilege to be in the family of God. Amen? Amen. You know, so it's, it's something to be grateful for as we come to the Thanksgiving season. Listen, this idea of being part of the family of God, in general, the idea of salvation is the greatest thing that we can ever be thankful for in this life. Beyond material goods, beyond your work, beyond the roof over your head, salvation, access to the family of God is the greatest blessing that we can be thankful for in this life. And as we go through the series, it's not just appropriate to remind us of what to be thankful for, but how we can demonstrate gratitude, how we can demonstrate thankfulness. And you've probably heard of this this phrase before. It's like the title of every Thanksgiving sermon I've ever heard, right? Gratitude is an attitude, right? Who's heard that before? But and, And as much as that is an important statement, and that is a true reality, it starts from a perspective. It starts in the heart. It starts in the mind. Gratitude is an attitude, but it's not just an attitude. It's also demonstrated in servitude. Gratitude is not just an attitude, it demonstrates in servitude. 
Gratitude demonstrates an, an action, an act of service. Imagine, as it were, if, 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 um, if you're in this great debt, right? A debt that you could not pay. Kind of like the, the housing market in Canada, right? <laughs> and, but then here is the man that you, you owe this debt to, and he pays it off completely, paid in full. Now, someone who is truly grateful for that act, despite not having any means or resources to pay that person back, to pay that benefactor back, will seek whatever means possible to show gratitude, even becoming a servant to that man, even, becoming, uh, uh, even coming to, to a place of humility just to, to, to show that man gratitude. That's our situation with God, and infinitely more beautiful and wonderful. God not only paid for our sin debt, he also saved us from the punishment of sin, which is hell. He saved us from death. He conquered death for us. He also welcomed us into his home, adopted us as sons and daughters into his family. So our response ought to be, I'm, I'm absolutely so thankful, so grateful. How can, I, how can I ever repay you back? How can I be of service? Even if I have no means to repay all of that grace back, how can, how can I show some gratitude? One of the ways that we serve God is through serving his family, serving the church. In fact, part of the reason why God saved us and even predestined us, according to his word, is for, for service. It's for good works. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10, this great Reformation passage, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And we understand that, and we believe that with all our hearts. Fantastic. But verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has saved us so that we could do his good works. And part of that, that spectrum of his good works is serving in his family, serving in his church. These good works manifest in, 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 in servitude, in serving and loving others, reflecting the love of Christ. Again, gratitude is not just an attitude, it demonstrates in servitude. Now, the way, to, the way to serve, um, of course, as we mentioned, is, is, is serving the family of God, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But, uh, and, and I think that's an important to note, an uh, important distinction to note between the family of God and even the, 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 the families or the, the communities in the world. Because you have to understand, the world is also looking to belong. That's what our series is called, right? You belong. The world is also looking for some sense of community, some sense of people, some sort of tribe that they belong to. It's why we see in the world, the world is very much tribalistic in nature, right? Whether it's your skin color or your race or your social status or your, your, your wealth or, or your sexuality even these days. People will, will, will find whatever group they, they, they can to identify with them and, and, and to... to to be part of it because everyone is built for relationship and everyone desires to be accepted and to belong. But the great difference about the relationships we see in the world and what is expected of the family of God is that, listen, the people in the world are looking for acceptance but without the accountability. They're looking for relationship but without the responsibility. They're looking for the benefits but without the burden. They're looking for support without the sacrifice. And it should not be the same in the family of God. Like a family, we have responsibilities. 
If you are part of the family, there's an expectation that you help out around the house. If you're a child, which all of us are to some degree, some point in time, there's an expectation that when you were living in your parents' house, you would do some chores. You don't, you don't just sit around and watch Netflix and you just eat the food and, and you sleep under the roof. You, you contribute, right? You're, and if that is just you, if you're just, if you're just sort of just lounging around while everybody else is at work in your house, well, listen, you're not a brother, you're a bother, right? You're not a sister, you're a squatter. Um, because the expectation, again, is if you're a part of a family, you're contribu- contributing to that family. And unfortunately, sometimes that can happen to the church as well. People can come and go get the weekly sort of high and the weekly pick-me-up, then leave, then or maybe they'll come and get the socialization for a bit and the fellowship, they get the community aspect, but then you never hear from them again until the next week. They don't serve, they don't check up on other brothers and sisters, they don't, they don't give their tithe. That, we've labeled this before, it's called consumer Christianity. And listen, this idea of consumer Christianity is, is very much a new thing in the world. And, and maybe it's developed through our sort of consumer society. It's a consumer mentality, and, and it's translated over to the church. But it was not at all the case at the conception of the early church. It says in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, it says, Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, the great, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them, houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. As we just read from this description of the early church, what was happening with the apostles in the early church there's great unity there. Brought about the grace of God, no doubt, but also because of mutual service and sacrifice. Everyone was, everyone was contributing. Everyone was looking after everyone's need. There is no such thing as a come-and-go relationship with the church of consumer Christianity in the early church. You know, some people treat church like they treat Costco, right? They have a membership, but they only go in to get the free samples, like, what's the point of having a membership in the first place? You're paying however much a month just to get the free samples that you could get more if you just buy the whole package, right? But, I mean, similarly, you and everyone else around you, our brothers and sisters in this church, get the most out of belonging to the church when you are in service of the church. You know, again, stop being a squatter or be a server. You can put that on our social media feed, right? It's a good quote. Stop being a squatter, be a server. Now, you might be thinking, well, I, okay, I, I don't know how to serve or where to serve, and how can I serve? Well, what's great about the family of God, and as we enter into the family of God, is that we're not just, it's not just a title, right? It, we, we don't just get a title that you're, you're now a son of God, you're a daughter of God, but the Holy Spirit, as we read from our passage, also empowers us, equips us, and enables us to serve others via spiritual gifts. 
That is a primary way in which we serve in the family of God is through the vehicle of spiritual gifts. And so the purpose of our sermon for this morning, we're going to be talking about a different topic next week. The purpose of our sermon this morning is to discuss spiritual gifts, what they are, how they look like in the church, but also communicate to you, brothers and sisters, that you have a spiritual gift. And how that spiritual gift actually belongs not just to yourself, but to the church and to the service of the church. And if you are not utilizing that gift, it is actually in direct disobedience to the Holy Spirit living in you. Church, with, with, with Thanksgiving coming up, I want to remind you to be thankful for our church. We have a great family of believers here. I mean, again, by no means is it perfect, right? We have you know, our own issues in, in the midst of ourselves. And we have Brother Mark, you know, right? And so it, it's not perfect, but by all means, we see the grace of God moving in our midst and, 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 and empowering each and every individual for his kingdom and for the service of the church. And, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I was so encouraged. Again, I, I mentioned this last week, but we had a, when we had a meeting with uh, Feb Central with some other pastors and we gave them, uh, sort of a report about what's happening in our church, they were very much encouraged at the growth that takes place in our church or that has taken place in our church. And, and, and you know, all the glory to God, it's, it's no individual effort, but everyone who has committed to serving. And that's the reality of it. The growth that has happened in our church is, of course, from the, the grace of God to grow our church, but also from the willingness of brothers and sisters in Christ to serve, to submit to the leading of the Holy Spirit and serve in, in some capacity or another in our community. And, and we want to continue this growth. We want to continue this, this mentality. See, we exist to see lives changed by the gospel, and that life change is demonstrated through people being empowered by the Holy Spirit in their spiritual gift to continue to sacrificially serve the local church, in this case, plus life. My hope is that you come out of this sermon emboldened to get plugged in somewhere, to serve somewhere, to utilize your spiritual gift that, that, that God has empowered you with. So as we go on in our sermon, I think the very first important thing that we need to discuss is what exactly is a spiritual gift? What is the definition of a spiritual gift? You know, I, I think over the years, this idea of a spiritual gift has been very much sensationalized or hyper-spiritualized by some churches and some church traditions. And I think whenever we talk about spiritual gifts or even mention the word, our minds immediately go to some sort of miraculous or sign gift, prophecy and visions and healings and always the favorite, speaking in tongues, right? And so, so you have these traditions, some charismatic traditions who focus highly on the supernatural gifts and oftentimes to their detriment. And although the sign gifts or, or these, these miraculous gifts are categorically part of what we see in Scripture, it is not the summation of what a spiritual gift is, nor should it ever be the focus of the church. Spiritual gifts help the church function, but it should never be the church's focus. Understand that. It, the spiritual gifts help the church function, as in serving and, and, and continuing to function as a, as, a, as a church, as a community of God, but it should never be the focus of a church. 
In fact, I would even argue if a church or a tradition of the faith is too focused on spiritual gifts and the manifestation of them, it's a, I would argue it's a very self-centered church. And it falls in line even with a consumer Christianity mentality. It's all about, look at my gift, look what I can do, look what, what gift I have, and this is how my gifts make me feel, and this is what I can do with you, for you with my gifts. And as we'll see from our passage, spiritual gifts are, are meant to serve others, as we've mentioned. So when these gifts only seek to serve yourself, to help your self-esteem, it's one of many red flags. And you can, as, as we'll even see it from our passage, it, it might not even be from the Holy Spirit. Now, before we get all into that, again, we need to define what a spiritual gift is. And broadly speaking, a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church. Now, this definition is broad enough because really what we see in Scripture are two categories of spiritual gifts. We see, as we mentioned, sort of the miraculous gifts and sort of more natural gifts that are still categorized as spiritual gifts. Let's talk about the first category there, the, the, the miraculous gifts or the, the sign gifts or as cessationists would call it, heresy, right? Uh, we're not cessationists here at Plus Life, just FYI. Um, but we see a list of these, these miraculous gifts, we sign gifts in our passage, in our main passage. Um, follow along with me in verse, uh, from verse 7 to 10. I'll just quickly summarize the, the gifts that we, we see there. It says, verse 7, right, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then in verse 8, Paul lists out utterance of wisdom. This is essentially the gift of preaching, the ability to understand God's word and communicate it to application and how to apply it. There's also another speaking, uh, speaking gift. That word utterance means literally word, and it denotes a speaking gift, utterance of knowledge. This is the gift of having, at least at that time, revelatory knowledge from God's word, being able to understand the, the, the mysteries of God and communicating those mysteries. Then in verse 9, it talks about uh, another gift, having faith. Now, this isn't just normal faith. This isn't just, say, uh, say, saving faith, although that is a gift too, as we see elsewhere in Scripture. This kind of faith is a kind of persistent, enduring faith, which is often manifested through prayer. If you've ever seen a, and, and I know there's some, some, some ladies here in the church who are prayer warriors, right? It's, it's a gift of faith where you are constantly interceding and able to endure and persist in prayer, in faith for whatever uh, need. We also see in this list, and continuing in verse 9, the gift of healing. These are the gift of healing that the, the apostles utilized to give credibility and authenticity to the early church. We also see the workings of miracles. In the original text there, it's the, the words there are, are associated with power and the way that this power is often demonstrated, this, these miraculous signs demonstrated in the, the, new, the early church was through casting out demons. So that's what it's primarily talking about there, though it's not limiting it to that. And of course, we also see the gift of prophecy listed there. 
Now, prophecy is an interesting one because we've taken it here, there, and everywhere uh, in, in these uh, later times. And in the original text, it simply means to speak forth or to proclaim publicly in the original meaning of it. This idea of future or, or pre future predictions and whatnot only came towards the Middle Ages of this interpretation. But it simply means to speak, be, the gift to be able to speak boldly uh, the oracles of God in, in a public uh, setting. Now, of course, we also see this distinguishing between spirits as a supernatural gift of discernment to distinguish between lying spirits or demonic spirits and the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit. That's a spiritual gift. And then we also see tongues and interpretation of tongues. Maybe some of you guys have been waiting for me to talk about this. Uh, but we see this, at least in the biblical context, this idea of, of speaking in tongues is the supernatural ability to speak and interpret, listen, known languages without professional training or previously knowing how to speak them before. I'll probably get some comments about that. Please send your comments to Elder Benji after the service. But that's what it is. This is a summation of it. If you want to discuss more of how these spiritual gifts look like, again, I'm just summarizing what's there and giving examples of what these sign gifts or these miraculous gifts are. And again, this list is not exhaustive. It is, it, meaning it doesn't contain all the gifts, and if there's a gift outside of this that's not written down here, it doesn't mean that that's not a gift. That's not what I'm saying. This is just an example, examples that Paul is giving, and I'm giving examples as well of these miraculous sign gifts. But now, moving on to the second category of spiritual gifts, the Bible also lists natural gifts. Natural gifts as, as spiritual gifts. The natural abilities that we're talking about can, that, that are still considered spiritual gifts because they are empowered by the Holy Spirit. For example, if you go to Romans chapter 12, verse 6 to 8, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, we talked about this already, this is just speaking skills, this is speaking forth. If service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. If you notice, these, these things that Paul lists out here for the Romans, they, they don't have such uh, uh, extravagance as the, 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 the sign gifts that he mentioned in, to the Corinthians. Again, prophecy is just the speaking skills. There's service, which is actually in the original Greek is the word for deacon or deaconess or, or even ministry. It's really the gift of helps in, in, in terms of practical ways of serving. And so we have a lot of people, even in our church, who has, a, has this gift in connections when they serve you after in fellowship, right? Even the idea of stacking chairs is a spiritual gift, right? It's any ability any ability that's empowered by the Holy Spirit for service of the church. And so this idea of service, it, it falls in line with that. Then we also see teaching, uh, in exhorting or encouraging uh, contributes, which is the act of giving, including giving your tithes and offerings. Then we see leadership and shows of mercy. Um, we also see in other parts of Scripture, administration is a, considered a gift. Marriage and celibacy is also considered a spiritual gift. Um, notice how these gifts are not necessarily supernatural or miraculous in nature. In nature, really, even a person in the world can be a, a leader, can be a teacher, can be a good administrator. 
uh, can be married even, right? But again, the difference is the Holy Spirit's empowerment. Back to our main passage, it says in um, verse 4 to 7 of our passage, again, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of services, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, the definition of a spiritual gift is any ability that is empowered by the Holy Spirit and used in any ministry of the church, that edification of the church. An ability that, an, an, an ability is only a spiritual gift if the Holy Spirit is empowering it. It's actually what Paul is talking about in, in our passage here, uh, in the very first part of our passage. He says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Why is Paul talking about pagan idols being led astray when he opens up this passage with concerning spiritual gifts? It's very interesting, right? Well, it's because in these pagan temples, People also practice spiritual, spiritual gifts, seeming super, seemingly supernatural abilities. However, they were not empowered by the Holy Spirit. They were empowered by the false gods, the demonic gods of pagan religions. That's what Paul means in verse 3, by the way, when he says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking, no one's speaking the Spirit of God. <coughs> Excuse me. And again, it's not just speaking the Spirit of God. He's talking about this. The, the speaking gifts here, not simply, you know, speaking casually. He says, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except through the Holy Spirit. Paul is saying, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will never empower someone to say something heretical, to, be, to say something contrary to what the Scripture says. In fact, if somebody says that, I think it's a good time to start discerning whether or not that person is being empowered by the Holy Spirit or some sort of demonic spirit some from pagan faith. Similarly, no one can proclaim or preach or practice the spiritual gift of, of, of speaking forth, Jesus is Lord, unless the Holy Spirit empowers them. That's, that's what Paul's trying to get at in this first passage, this first part of the passage. So the absolute requirement for an ability, any natural ability to be a spiritual gift is the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Anything other than that derives from human flesh or, or, or demonic influence, and the ability must be used for ministry and, and the, the edification uh, and in service of the church, of the family of God. Remember, why we're, we're, we're talking about this in the first place, because I know I just threw a whole bunch of information at you here. We're talking about spiritual gifts in the first place because it's, it's the vehicle of spiritual gifts that that we use, that the Holy Spirit uses for us to be able to serve the church. And the reason why we want to serve the church is out of gratitude for, uh, for, for being accepted into the family of God, for our salvation. It's how we, the way we serve is through our spiritual gifts. So now, having defined what a spiritual gift is, and, and all of that information, looked at some of these passages, here's the first reality, first truth that we, we need to take home from all of this. Listen. You have a spiritual gift. Turn to the person beside you and say, I have a spiritual gift. 
I, man, I, I feel like no one believes what they're saying there. Like, I have a spiritual gift. I'm, you know. You have a spiritual gift. Our passage says, right? Look at this. Verse 4. Now, these are, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but in the, is, it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Then verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What do you think Paul's talking about there, right? Everyone has a gift. Every blood-bought believer sealed by the Holy Spirit has a spiritual gift. It's not just some people here, some people there. Some context here, right? Paul, in this letter to the Corinthians, is dealing with these so-called super apostles, these false teachers that were coming into this church, and they were bragging about their spiritual gifts. And they were even turning the focus of the Corinthian church to those spiritual gifts. They were elevating certain gifts over others, namely those miraculous gifts, those, 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 those sign gifts, namely the, the speaking in tongues, especially considering how, and, and we see that even in chapter 14 of 1 Corinthians, where Paul has to rebuke the church and say, and say, hey, we need order in the local body, right? You can't have everybody speaking in tongues and no interpreters, Right? That's what he says in, in chapter 14, that God is a God of order, and these, these false teachers were, were bringing in chaos through these spiritual, the, this hyper-focus on these spiritual gifts. So, so with that in mind, with that focus in the Corinthian church, what was happening is that these, these other gifts, these other spiritual gifts, were being overlooked, were not being utilized. So in an effort to bring back that church's perspective on spiritual gifts, Paul reminds the Corinthian church, listen, discern, first of all, discern the spirits. See if, if these people who are causing division and chaos in the church are actually from the Holy Spirit, right? Discern if, if it's some other spirit. But he's also saying, listen, don't worry about their gift. You have a gift as well. You too have a gift, a spiritual gift. And I'm sure it's very much relevant for us today because reality is when it comes to our own spiritual gifts, we do either two, of, two things, right? Firstly, we, we're like the, the Corinthian church where we do not utilize them in service because other people are already serving. You know, maybe we think that, that okay, you know, I'm not, that, I'm not good enough or I'm not qualified enough or, or brother so-and-so is, is, does it better and you know, what's the point of me serving? Listen, you have to, as we just read from our passage, it is the Holy Spirit that empowers you with this gift. So what makes you think that your spiritual gift is not good enough if it's the eternal God himself empowering you with it? How does this passage end? This, is, this, is, this, this passage of ours this morning ends in verse 11. And these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. What does that mean? It means that whether little or much, whether you're an expert or a novice, whether your ability is, as long as your ability is from the Holy Spirit, specifically apportioned to you for this time, you have a spiritual gift to use. And if your excuse is, well, well I, I only know how to play a little bit. Well, I, I don't have a lot of time during the week. Well, I, I don't have much to give. Listen, one of the greatest principles in the Holy Scriptures is that little is much in the hands of God. 
Little is much in the hands of God. And that when we are faithful with the little, he'll entrust us with more. What that means is that even if you submit your little ability, the Holy Spirit will make much of it. The only desire is obedience, surrender. Yes, God desires excellence in our worship, but he does not desire extravagance. And we often confuse the two. Excellence and extravagance are not the same. Excellence is relative to the individual. What that means is, listen, if God is putting it on your heart to play the guitar for the worship team, he's not asking you to play like Brother Mark. He's asking you to play better than Brother Mark. No, no, no. He's asking you to... That, that's, uh, that was the slip of my tongue. <laughs> The Holy Spirit is asking you to play your best, your best, not Mark's best, not someone else's best. If God is telling you to, 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 to give your tithe, your finances, it's not to give like the brother or the sister who already has an established career, who has a great salary, who has a great income. He's asking you to give whatever you have. That's what excellence is. Extravagance is, is trying to meet the standards of somebody else, of trying to fulfill a standard that the Holy Spirit is not asking of you. The goal of the Holy Spirit is not to empower you to have someone else's gift. It's to empower you and to grow you in your spiritual gift. Whatever that might be. God has uniquely designed each each and every one of us with varying backgrounds and experiences with different age groups and strengths and weaknesses which result in different capabilities. In his sovereignty, God has weaved all of those differences and all of those uniquenesses and those, those gifts and those abilities to, to service his church and bring him glory, bring good to his family. So listen, whether big or small, whether strong or weak, whether, whether you're, you're Jude's age or you're, you're, you're someone older's age, you have an ability, you have an ability the Holy Spirit can utilize as a spiritual gift and bring him glory. You have an ability that the Holy Spirit can use. Now, just a quick note. Because we do have a range of ages in our group. And just speaking to the older folks in our, in our space here. Listen, your glory days for the Lord is not behind you. Understand that. The heights of your faith are not, is not behind you. You know, sometimes I've had, I've had conversations with older Christians of the faith. And sometimes their, their mentalities is like, yeah, you know, when I was young, I was a missionary for God. And, you know, I was doing this and serving this way in this capacity in, in the church when I was younger. Listen, just because you're older doesn't change your capacity to serve in the church. In fact, it should, have, should increase, if anything. You, you've gained more experiences. You, 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 you know more. You've grown in your faith. You'd, you ought to have a greater capacity to serve the living God 
at your later stages of life. And maybe it's not in the same way that you served in your younger years, but you can always teach, especially teach the younger believers, younger in the faith. For the married couples, older married couples, you can teach us about marriage and faithfulness and endurance. The older generation has a great deal of wealth on, 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 in terms of endurance and prayer and faithfulness that they can teach us younger kids, younger, you know, our fellow youth here, right? So, so, so those are spiritual gifts. And now in addition to those who, uh, who, 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 who might not use their, their spiritual gift because they don't think that they're adequate or not or whatnot, there's also the, the, the people in the church who, who don't use their spiritual gifts because they simply don't know what their spiritual gifts are, right? And in some cases, maybe they're even functioning in a gift that, or in a capacity that they're, they're, they're not really gifted in. And so in both those cases, I believe it's important for our church to help recognize which gifts individuals have and enable them to utilize those gifts. So something that we want to do uh, as a church, and I haven't told the, the life group leaders this week yet, funny enough, but something we're going to do in life groups this week and maybe even the following week, whatever time we have, is that we're going to do spiritual gifts inventory in our life groups so that we all know where our giftings are and where our, our abilities, our strengths are, because again, those are good indicators of where our spiritual gift is and where it can be used in the church. And if you've done those spiritual gifts inventory in the past, before, that's okay. Again, our skills grow, our abilities develop over time as we grow, as we mature, as we gain more experiences. So if you've grown at all in the last three years, I'm sure your spiritual gift, your ability has grown as well. You're going to do the test whether you like it or not. Uh, again, that's going to be all done in life groups. And if you are not in life groups, you belong in life groups. It's a great plug for uh, life groups there. Um, but th that's the first reality of, of spiritual gifts. You have a spiritual gift. You have a spiritual gift. Second reality we see from our passage concerning spiritual gifts. Your gifts serve others. Your gifts serve others. Tell someone, my gifts serve you. Man, even that one was less believable than the other one. When you bring another person in, it's like, oh, I guess I got to serve you. Verse 7, it says in our passage, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now that you know that you have a spiritual gift, you have to understand that that spiritual gift is not for you. You have to understand that it's not for your self-esteem, but it's rather for the edification of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, this great chapter where Paul is rebuking uh, the Corinthian church, uh, he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 12, so with yourselves, since you are eager of, for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Then verse 19, he says, Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in another tongue. Then verse 26, he says, What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. 
Let all things be done for building up. The purpose for your spiritual gift is to serve others for mutual edification in the body of Christ. This is how the church ought to function. It also demonstrates how we love one another. In fact, Paul says in, in a passage in 1 Corinthians 12, towards the end of that chapter, he, 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 focuses it on, he focuses it on this idea that our spiritual gifts are serving each other is for that purpose of reflecting Christ's love. He says towards the end of that passage, uh, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. So on top of everything that he's already mentioned in, in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul says, I'm going to show you something even greater than all of those things. What is this greater thing that he talks about? He continues in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. The goal of every spiritual gift Every ability that you have that is empowered by the Holy Spirit is to demonstrate, is to reflect the love of Christ to your brother or your sister in Christ. Without this, as Paul says, we are just noisy gongs, a, a, a clanging cymbal. We are nothing. Listen, if you want to show love and care to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, serve them. Serve them. Hospitality is a spiritual gift, you know? Utilize your spiritual gift in service of others. Remember where it all starts. Remember why we're talking about this. It's because of gratitude, again. Gratitude for what God has done. Gratitude for God inviting and adopting us into his family. And as a result of that gratitude, we demonstrate love back to others. The overflow of that grace and that love that has been shown to us outpours on to others, to our brothers and sisters. So now, with that second reality in mind, the final truth that we see from our passage is that you must steward your gift. You must steward your gift. Tell someone, I must steward my gift. Happily. Happily. <laughs> good, good. If the first truth is that you have a gift, and the second truth is that your spiritual gift is for others then nat the natural conclusion, the response to all of those truths is that I need to steward my gift. I need to steward my spiritual gift. So back to our passage, after listing some of these signed gifts, Paul says in verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, as we just read. This, this, is an in this intentional apportioning, this distributing by the by the Holy Spirit of these spiritual gifts is, is entrusting to us, it's giving to us believers the responsibility to utilize that gift. Why would the Holy Spirit entrust something to us for us to just sit on it and not use it? That's what it means to, to, to utilize that gift is what it means to steward that gift. Uh, in First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, the Apostle Peter also talks about this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another, as we just mentioned, as good stewards of God's varied 
grace. So then how do we steward it? What's kind of like a, a practical way of, of stewarding these spiritual gifts? Well, Peter continues, verse 11, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him being to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And, and of course, as we read in Romans, Paul says a similar thing. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophe- prophecy in proportion to our faith, the service in our serving, to one who teaches in his teaching, and so forth and so forth. What Peter and Paul are, are calling believers to is to serve, as we mentioned, with excellence, with diligence, with passion even. That's how we steward the gifts. And so it's not just a matter of, of, of utilizing these spiritual gifts begrudgingly, right? Again, as we mentioned, giving is a spiritual gift. But if you're giving and you're like, I have to give, that defeats the purpose. We are supposed to be giving cheerfully for one thing. Or if you're up here and you're serving on the, on the music team and it, it, it's, you're reluctant to serve, that's not proper stewardship of your gift, even though you are up here. The whole point of it is that we are to serve with excellence, with passion, with, with vigor, with diligence. diligence. That, that is how we steward these spiritual gifts. And it all starts by simply saying yes to serving. We have to understand that According to Scripture, if you are truly a believer, you, you need to be serving in some capacity or some degree. There is no, back in the day, there was no, well, I'm a little busy. I'm sort of tired. I'm not really talented. I'm, I'm waiting for the right time or the right position. They, they don't need my help. There's none of that. Someone else can do it better. I, I have no concern. You know, I have other concerns to worry about. There's none of that. Again, the early church, out of their desire and passion to serve, just to and, and gratitude to, to honor God for their salvation, said, "Here, whatever you need. I'm selling my house. I'm selling my land, my property, just to give it to the church in gratitude. Here are my gifts. Here are my talents in service of the, the local body of Christ." There was none of that, uh, well, someone else is already doing it. Again, as we've been talking about, our service and even the utilization of these spiritual gifts stem from gratitude and the thankfulness that we have towards what God has done for us. That great debt that God paid for us, that love that, that, that we have received and, and desire to show to our God. The, the, the early church, again, was, was serving out of a way to communicate that love for God. So they're willing to do whatever it takes to show that gratitude. So then, if that is the case, what does it mean for us in modern-day modern day churches when we are not utilizing the spiritual gifts in service? When we aren't utilizing what the Holy Spirit has entrusted to us in service? For one thing, I mean... It shows a lack of gratitude. It shows that we're not properly stewarding what God has entrusted to us. It also shows that we're not obeying the Holy Spirit. Again, if the Holy Spirit has enabled every single believer with some sort of ability to be used for his kingdom, to be used in service of the church, but we say no to utilizing it, listen, That's disobedience. 
That's grieving the Holy Spirit, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. And, you know, as we've talked about in the past, God is not mocked. There are great consequences to those things. In the parable of talents that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 25, where we get that principle of, you know, when we are faithful in the little, we are given more. God entrusts us with more. In that same passage, we also get the principle that when we are unfaithful with the little, the little will be taken away from us. Even the little will be taken away. Again, listen, it doesn't, it doesn't take much to be used by the Holy Spirit. Just willingness. Just availability. Just surrender. In the Old Testament, it just... It just took the, the, the young boy, Samuel, to say to the Lord, here I am. Speak, God, I'm listening. It took Moses turning towards the burning bush for that encounter to take place. It took Isaiah to simply say, here I am, send me. It doesn't take much to be used by the Holy Spirit. Just It starts with our willingness and our availability. And then the Holy Spirit will take whatever ability, natural ability we have and empower us to do great and marvelous things for his kingdom, even his, his local church. You know, brothers and sisters, again, I, I do not want to pressure you or scare you into serving, but simply remind you that you have been entrusted with a spiritual gift that the Holy Spirit expects you to utilize for his kingdom to use for his service. And again, out of gratitude, right? Out of gratitude. As we close here, for, for the lost who might be listening to my voice, the greatest spiritual gift that you can ever receive is the gift of salvation. That's where it all starts. It needs to start with a relationship with God. It needs, you need to be adopted into the family of God. And so if you have yet to do that, unbeliever, I, I invite you to do so. Put your faith in Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross and in the grave. Put your faith in him alone for your salvation, for a right relationship with God, for access to the family of God, because you cannot, you can, there's no other way, there's no other way to get into the family of God except through Jesus Christ. And then for the found, for believers, I want to encourage you once again. You have a gift. You have been sealed by the Holy Spirit in salvation. And as a result of that, the Holy Spirit has given you abilities to be used for his kingdom, for, for God's kingdom, for the local church even. You have a gift. A reminder that your gifts are not for yourself. It's meant to serve others to communicate love to others. You must, finally, you must steward your gift. Use your gift, whatever it might be. Whatever, whatever ability you might have. Use your gift. And again, we, as we've been announcing almost every week for the past few weeks, past few months, right, we need more team members on various teams of our church to help function and to help, uh, to, to help the growth of those ministries. So steward your gifts. Steward the gift that the Holy Spirit has entrusted to you, apportioned to you. 
And overall, remember the joy of your salvation. Remember this great hope that we have that we have been adopted into the family of God even before the foundations of the world and predestined even so that we could work or do his good work, to do the good works of God. And out of that joy, out of that that joy of your salvation, I, I pray that there would be an overflow of gratitude that is manifested in service. Let's pray. Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word declares that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you. God, we thank you first and foremost once again that you have saved us and that you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would move amongst your people in their hearts to bring about conviction, to show them where they might have been grieving you, where they have been turning a deaf ear to your voice, and where they have been unfaithful in utilizing the gifts you have entrusted to them. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move amongst your people's hearts so that we might be reminded of, of this great work you have done in us and for us, this work of salvation, that from that wellspring of gratitude would overflow acts of service, oh God, for your kingdom, for your church. Holy Spirit, empower your people. Give boldness to your people. Enable your people to bring about the glory of Christ in this world. And I pray, God, that if we have grieved you in any way, Holy Spirit, that we would, that you would forgive us. Make a right spirit within us. That we might be used again for your kingdom. Lord, we say that here we are. We are available. We surrender to you, to your leading. Pray these things in Jesus, your mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you were blessed by the sermon today. If you would like to learn about the gospel or know more about our church, please visit pluslifepeople.com. Remember to subscribe for more content. Until next time, stay blessed.